Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Um, if you are joining us for the very first time, we are in a study of the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. We started it last fall. We are getting near the end. Uh, today, we are, we are going to be looking at what Paul is going to be speaking about when it comes to relationships. We're starting a, a four-part little piece where we're going to focus for a couple of weeks on marriage, one week on parenting, and another week on work relationships. We're going to look at what God says his design for marriage to be. Now, we have taken what God has designed and completely screwed it up. Uh, people don't really follow what God's plan is, and that's why marriage has become so miserable for so many people. We want to reaffirm that God's plan is for a healthy marriage, not anything outside of that. It's a healthy marriage that God desires in the hearts of people. Well, the book of Ephesians is nicely divided into three parts. There's a section on learning how to sit. What that means is, how do I sit and how do I receive and how do I rest in the Lord? How do I understand how he has created me? what my identity is, how I've been forgiven, what sitting and resting in him looks like. Then we shift gears and we learn what then it means to walk. How do we walk out this life? How do we walk out our faith in real life, in real time, as we're going about doing life? And then we'll wrap it up with a couple of weeks where we're learning how to stand, and that is how do we stand against the schemes of the devil? How do we stand against the spiritual warfare and opposition that happens in this world? Now, every time we've been talking about walk, I've always started it with Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, which gives us the context of what it means to walk, and we're going to do that again today. Here's what it says. Paul writes this, Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. In other words, when you learn what it means to rest in the Lord, now I'm going to urge you, Paul says, to get up, start walking, and start living out your faith in this world. I want you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. Now, what is that worthy walk going to look like? Well, you're going to walk in complete humility and gentleness with patience. Patience, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so that's what a worthy walk looks like. Your life is different. You've changed. You can't be the same person you've always been. Instead, you start being humble, teachable, gentle, patient, putting up with one another in love. You know what? If Couples just did that. How great would marriage be? 
If parents would just do that with their kids, how great would the family be? If people in the work world did that, how great would a work world, work life be? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Now, particularly, we're at the section in chapter 5, starting in verse 21, where we are going to deal with marriage. Let's look at what Paul says. Walk worthy in your marriage. Here's what he says. Also, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, Messiah. Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Messiah also is head of his community himself the savior of the body but as messiah's community is submitted to messiah so also the wives to their husbands and everything husbands love your wives just as messiah also loved his community and gave himself up for her to make her holy having cleansed her by the immersion in the word messiah did this so that he might present to himself his glorious community not having stain or wrinkle or any such thing, but in order that she might be holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Messiah also does his community, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am talking about Messiah and his community. In any case, let each of you love his own wife as himself and let the wife respect her husband. Well, for four weeks, we are going to talk about orderly relationships. First two weeks, we're going to focus on marriage. Next two weeks, we're going to focus on parenting and work relationships. As we get into marriage today, this is going to be applicable to every one of you in this room, whether you're married or not married. Maybe you want to be married someday. Maybe you're single today. And the goal is, I would like to be married someday. Well, this is going to be applicable to you. If you're married, this is going to talk about where you're at today in your relationship. As we get into this word and get into this message, let's pray and ask for God to bless this time. Father, we want to hear from you. The world is a mess, and people have stepped outside of what you have designed for marriage and tried to do it their own way. Father, there's such a mess People deciding now today, I don't even want to get married. I just want to live together. That's not your plan. That's not what you desire. Lord, help us to surrender ourselves to you and want to have what you want us to have. Lord, I pray that you would teach us and show us what you designed marriage to be, where it went wrong, and how we can fix it. Lord, show us your truth, walk with us during this time, and teach us what we need to learn. Father, thank you so much for being in this place, for ministering to us. We want to surrender this time to you, surrender our hearts to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, it's not a stretch for you to know and understand that from the very earliest of ages, we are not ingrained, even as little children, to have good, healthy relationships. If you don't believe me, I've got a video clip I want to show you that demonstrates just that fact. From the very earliest of ages, we are not designed to have healthy relationships. Brittany, would you show that for us? 
could she possibly do that to him? That's the question. You may think, well, how do you know that's the girl? I know it's the girl because the guy is just standing there watching TV, minding his own business, and the girl comes up and just pounds him over the head for no apparent reason. Well, from the very earliest of ages, we are ingrained with conflict, with false ideas, with selfishness and self-centeredness. From the very earliest of ages, we have learned not to have good relationships. Healthy relationships start, uh, healthy relationships start in the heart. If I want a great marriage, my often my thinking is this, well then she needs to be fixed. If, if I can have a great marriage, something has to change within my wife to make our marriage great. But that's not really the case. The case is this, that it all starts with me. In fact, I want you to say this with me, what you see on the screen. Okay, let's, let's try it together. If I want a great marriage, it starts with me. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you understand that to be true? It's not about someone else and fixing them and changing them. It starts with you. If you want a great marriage, it starts with you. If you're single and someday you want to be married, it starts with you. A great marriage begins in your heart. Now, Paul is going to teach us about marriage. Today, we're going to focus on the first 11 words that I had read earlier that Paul is going to give. It sets the stage and the context for what healthy relationships really are. Next week, we're going to focus on what he says to wives and what he says to husbands, and then the summary statement that he gives. But today, we're going to focus on the first 11 words. These are the contextual verses or the contextual words that set the stage for all of it. Look at what it says. Also, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Messiah. It's not the focus of wives, you submit to your husbands, and husbands, you love your wives. It all starts with those 11 words. You want a healthy relationship? Here's how it's going to happen. Submit yourself to one another out of reverence, out of the fear of, out of the respect for Jesus. You want a healthy marriage? Surrender your heart to Jesus. If you will surrender your heart to Jesus, your marriage can become healthy. Things can change. Life can change. Obviously, two people have to both do that, but it will all start with you. You want a healthy marriage? Submit yourself to your spouse. Submit yourself to other people out of reverence and respect for Jesus. Those are the words that we're going to focus on today. And I want to look at today those three things that I had mentioned earlier. God's design for marriage, where it all went wrong, and how can it be made right? Let's start with God's design for marriage. How did God design and create marriage? What was that supposed to look like, and how have we just screwed it up completely? Well, he starts it in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Here's what God is going to say. We're going to read through verse 25. I'm going to stop and explain some things along the way, but it starts in this manner. It says this in chapter 2 of Genesis Starting in verse 15. Then the Lord God, Adonai Elohim, took the man and gave him rest in the Garden of Eden in order to cultivate and watch over it. Then Adonai Elohim commanded the man, saying, From all of the trees of the garden, 
you are most welcome to eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat. For when you eat from it, you most assuredly will die. Then Adonai Elohim said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Let me make a well-matched helper for him. Well, let me stop right there and just highlight those first words. It's not good for the man to be alone. Let me make a well-matched helper for him. Those verses, those words, those two sentences have been taken out of context in many different ways, mostly for people who are single. People who are single will read those words or hear those words and think it's not good to be alone and there's two conclusions that they often come to. Number one is this. They start to feel desperate. I need to be in a relationship. And so I will just pick anyone in order to be in a relationship because I shouldn't be alone. And that's one way that single people often take that verse. Second way that they take the verse is this. They have this thought and they think, what's wrong with me? That I'm still alone. There's something defective and deficient and not good enough with me because it's not good for man to be alone and I'm alone. So either I feel inadequate, feel desperate, and I make desperate, inadequate decisions based out of that. I want you to understand the context. That's not at all what God is saying. Think about how different this is from our day. In our day, you have lots of relationships around everywhere. You have friendships everywhere you look. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians said, it's good to be single. You, that's not a bad thing. He says, be like me. It's a good thing. What God was saying to Adam in the book of Genesis was this. Now think about what was going on. Adam was completely alone. There was not another created person. There was God and there was him. And he probably in the presence of God realized that I'm not God. I'm not on that level. There was none like him. When God said it's not good that you're alone, he was referencing the fact that there was no other people to have a relationship with. So if you're single, you may have a desire to be married someday, but don't feel ever like you are defective or deficient or inadequate or worthless in any way if you're not married. You have lots and lots of people around you who love you and have relationship with you. One of my dearest, best, most important friends is single. And he is content with being single because he's got wonderful friendships around him, including me. I'm one of his closest friends, and that's all you could possibly need in the world to have friendship with me. Let's keep going. Adonai Elohim. Why are you guys laughing at that? That's so true. Adonai Elohim had formed from the ground every animal of the field and every flying creature of the sky. So he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called them, each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and to the flying creatures of the sky and to all the animals of the field. But the man in all of those animals did not find a well-matched helper for him. All of those animals. You know, we have dogs. I have a sometimes a love-hate relationship with our dogs at times. 
We've had a couple of dogs, though, um, that died of, of old age. And sadly, uh, that was heart-wrenching and heartbreaking. And we grieved as a family when we lost those family pets. But no matter how great your animals are, they will never satisfy the longing that we have as people for relationship. God has created us to be relational people. He's created us to need one another, to have one another, to be there for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to rejoice with each other, to weep with each other. God has created us in that way. There was no one. And so God looked at him and said, you have nobody. It's not good that you're alone. Well, here's what was going to happen. Adonai Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall on the man and he slept. And the statement is almost like this. When you wake up, you're going to have the best surprise of your life. You remember Christmas as a kid and you'd go to bed and you'd wake up and all of the presents and the stockings were filled and it was like this is a joyous surprise. Well, that's exactly what's going on. It's like the greatest surprise of your life is going to happen. Do you know when we do weddings here especially, um, there is something so special about when a couple gets married that on the day of the wedding, the groom does not see the bride. You know that tradition, that old tradition? I, we can't see each other on the day of the wedding. In fact, many traditions are, are these, that when the bride buys a dress, that the guy can't even see the dress that she's bought. And so the day of the wedding comes. We, if we do a, a ceremony here, we'll often hang black curtains on those, on those back windows so you cannot see through them. And so the day of the wedding comes, and the bride has spent hours in makeup and nails and hair, and the guy spent three minutes getting ready. But the wedding party comes in. And the guy stands up here on front, and the door is closed. And then behind the door, the bride comes and stands right behind that door. And at the right moment when we say, you may all rise, the doors open. And the man sees the bride for the very first time that day, made up in the beautiful dress and, and just hasn't seen her all day. And is just overwhelmed. And I can't tell you how many times that this guy strong, you know, macho guy is in tears, a pile of mush when he sees his bride coming. And that's the picture, Adam. When you wake up, guess what? Something incredible is going to happen. Here's what it says. Adonai Elohim built the rib, which he had taken from the man into a woman. I, I would just note this about the story of Genesis. The world, if you look at the world, there is so much evidence that really the evidence points to an intelligent designer of this world. The distance the earth is from the sun, where we are positioned in the solar system, the tilt of the earth, the atmospheric layers, the way the moon operates, the, the, all of these, the rotation at the perfect speed, all of these things point to the fact that this can't just randomly by chance happen. If you narrow it down even more, you look at people and the DNA and the building blocks of people. How This just can't randomly happen. There has to be an intelligent designer. God created, but he doesn't tell us how he created everything. 
He doesn't owe us that. We are not God. He is not us. We don't deserve an explanation. All he gives us is, hey, I took a rib and I built a woman. I'm not going to tell you how I did it. It's up to us with faith to say, I believe it or I reject it. I believe it based upon all of the evidence of the world around me and all of the evidence of scripture. I have come to the conclusion that God is real and he is true and he is right. And I'm not that God built a woman out of a rib. I don't know how he did it. It's mind blowing, but he did. Well, he brought her to the man. This was the big reveal. And the man said, the very first wedding vows, this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one is called woman for a man, uh, for, for from a man was taken this one. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and he clings to his wife and they become one flesh. Now, both of them were naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. There, there are four things in that story that I quickly want to cover that give us the picture of what God intended marriage to be and how much we screwed it up. Here's the picture of what God intended it to be. Number one, God intended marriage to be well-matched. He says in verse 18, let me, God is saying this, make a well-matched helper for him. The word well-matched helper in the Hebrew is Isaiah, and it means one who aids. But it's more than one who aids, because sometimes that idea, well, you're just my helper, is like, well, you're my maid. You know, you're, you're my caretaker. But that's not what it means. The word helper means completer. You, you remember the Jerry Maguire movie when he said the line, you complete me. Well, that's really what God was doing. In God's wisdom, infinite understanding, he looked at mankind, men, and he said, you are inadequate. You are not good enough. You don't have it all. I need to give you someone to complete you. As men, we all know that our wives are far more capable, talented, caring, loving, concerned than we are as men, which is why we deserve to be hit over the head with a spoon, with a ladle uh, while we're just watching TV. I'm amazed at my wife, how much she does and takes care of and is responsible for. In many cases, spouses work. In many cases, they're also taking care of a family and managing a household and, and taking care of needs that are there. They're there to help comfort and love and support where guys just are inadequate and fail. But in the same way, men meet something that women can't meet. We have God-given gifts and abilities wired in a certain way that are not the same. And if you put both together, they make a pretty good person. And so God looks at Adam and says, you're not okay. And so I'm going to bring somebody into your life because you're alone. There's nobody else like you. You're alone. I'm going to bring somebody else in who will complete you because of the things that you are lacking. 
Now again, that's not an indictment if you're single today, because if you're single today, you have multiple friendships and relationships that can do that. Adam had nothing. So the first idea of marriage is it has to be well-matched. This is why God has created man and woman to complete each other. And that's why his design was for that. Secondly, we are to be joined together. Well-matched, joined together. Verse 22, then God brought her to the man. I want you to notice something extraordinary about this. God brought her to him at just the right time. Again, in our society, some people have the word desperate written across their forehead. In other words, I don't want to wait for God to bring me the right person. I'm just going to jump into any relationship I could possibly find because I need something. Well, that's not what God designed. God wants you to be content and wait for him to bring the right person into your life instead of jumping into something else. I, I've noticed this seems to happen especially with friends that I know that have been divorced. And they've gone through a painful divorce, and the paperwork just got signed. The ink isn't even dry, and all of a sudden they're in a brand new relationship with somebody else. Why? Well, because I'm desperate. I need to be in a relationship. No, you need to be content and wait for the Lord to bring you the right person at the right time. Maybe he won't. Maybe you will be single. Maybe that's his plan. But if you're patient and you wait and you're content, God will bring that person into your life. He brought her. They were joined together. Number three, about what he planned. So this is, again, it's centered on God, not us. I'm going to bring somebody well-matched for you. I'm going to join them to you. Wait for me, God says. And then once I have joined them, joined you together, you will be one flesh. And it says in verse 24, and they became one flesh. What is one flesh? That means that when you are in that marriage, you become entwined, intertwined. You become joined. How? Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, you become joined. This is why God hates anything outside of marriage because you're joining yourself to somebody who isn't your spouse. I've designed it, God says, to be one flesh. You heard the analogy of how they will take two sheets of plywood. Same size, same shape, two sheets of plywood. And they will take a super strong adhesive and spread it all over this plywood and then put the plywood together and let it join and harden. If you let that join and harden, maybe it's years that it's joined and hardened. If you take a, a, a pry bar and you pry it apart, it will never come apart cleanly. There will be remnants of both boards on the other board because of the adhesive that was used. When you have been joined as one flesh, it never comes apart cleanly. 
That's God's plan. His plan from the beginning. A well-matched person. I'm joining you with. You become one flesh. And then the result of that, they were naked and unashamed. It says, verse 25, now both of them were naked. The man and his wife, they were not ashamed. What is that a picture of? What does that mean? Well, it's not just the physical. Naked and unashamed is emotionally. Your soul, your spirit, vulnerability. The true word for this is intimacy. You experience true intimacy. What is true intimacy? Let me give you a definition. It's not physical. That's a byproduct. True intimacy is this, that you will be known fully. What does that mean? Well, that means that the person that you're joined with knows you fully. Everything. Warts and all. Problems and all. Issues and all. They know you better than anybody else in this world. You will be known fully. And you will know fully. What is knowing fully? It means I know everything about them as well. It's not just a one-way thing where they know all of my insecurities, all of my vulnerabilities, everything about me. I also know everything about them. They were naked. They were unashamed. And then the third definition of intimacy, you will know them fully. They will know you fully, and you will feel completely safe. What does complete safety mean? That means I don't have to worry that you're going to throw me under the bus. I don't have to worry that you're going to purposefully hurt me. You would never purposefully hurt me. You protect me. It's like what Pastor Grant was doing last week when he gave the analogy of, the, uh, of himself and the other guy who were standing back to back with swords. We've got each other's back. Well, that's what true intimacy is. You've got each other's backs. God designed marriage to be well-matched, joined together, one flesh, naked and unashamed. If you are a single person today, do not settle do not be desperate. Wait for God to bring the right person into your life. And when you wait on him, you will start to experience the one flesh, naked and unashamed, that he has planned. So that's what God's design was. It didn't last long because it would all go wrong. Let's look at where it all went wrong. Well, it's one chapter over in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis is where it all went wrong. When sin entered into the world, disobedience happened, sin entered, everything got screwed up with marriage. After sin entered into the world, God gave the consequences to the man, to the woman, and to Satan of what's going to happen now as a result of sin in this world. Well, here's the consequence that he gives to the woman as he describes what marriage now is going to be. Look what he says. To the woman, he said, here's the consequences, I will greatly increase your pain from conception to labor. Is it that bad, really? Is having children really that painful? Come on, it doesn't look bad. It doesn't look like more than a blister or a splinter, maybe. A mild headache, I don't know. No, it's awful. 
as a husband who has been through having six children and watching my wife go through this, I never, ever want to go through what she has had to go through. In pain, you're going to bring forth children, and in pain, you will give birth to your children. I would add to that, your pain does not stop after they're born. It continues on for long after if you have children. Now he's going to start talking about marriage. Notice this. This is, well, I'll just highlight this. Here's what he says. Your desire will be toward your husband, yet he must rule over you. Let's look at those words. Two words. Your desire will be toward your husband, yet he must rule over you. The word desire in the Hebrew is not a great thing. It doesn't mean like you're going to just have wonderful, warm, fuzzy feelings toward him. That's not what it means at all. It doesn't mean that you're going to just be thinking about him as he's at work and you're at home and you're getting dinner ready and you just can't wait to see him and throw your arms around him and hug on him and kiss him. That's not what it means. The word desire means to stretch out after. What does that mean? It means that the woman is going to have a desire for power, control, a longing, and a craving to have power and control, authority in the relationship, and there will be a using of manipulative tactics to try to gain that advantage. You ever seen women who will manipulate through tears, through anger? through emasculating things that they say to their husband or about their husband in front of other people. Ways to emasculate in order to try to gain control. And then you have a man who will rule over you. What does that rule over mean? It's the, the Hebrew word that means reign, have dominion, be a dictator, have authority, really be a tyrant, and be a jerk. And that's what you have. Marriage will go wrong because you're going to have two people who are going to be trying to gain control, who are selfish and self-centered and focused on what they want, and they will use any tactic necessary in order to put you in your place. Whether it's the words that are said, manipulative things, withholding of things, or even abuse that happens. It's all about powering down. And the picture of that would be something like this. And, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an amazing artist, but I don't have time to draw you a picture, so I'm going to use stick figures here. Um, I'm not an amazing artist. This is the extent of my art right here. And so here's what you have. Here's what God says. Your desire, desire will be for your husband with control, power, authority, and he will, he will rule over you. Where did marriage go wrong? When sin entered into the world, you have two people joining homes, joining households who are trying to control, trying to manipulate, trying to be in power, trying to be in authority, using different means and methods to gain that power, that control. It's a power struggle. I want control. I'll set expectations. I will judge you. I want praise. I want to be noticed. 
and I will use any means necessary to make sure that you know that I'm in control. So you have two people who are coming over the top, beating each other down until you've been beat so far down that you just quit. I can't do this anymore. And you keep beating down and you keep beating down and you keep hurting and you keep being a tyrant and you keep being abusive and you push each other down and you finally give up. And this is where marriage went wrong. It was perfect. God intended it to be great. The best relationship you can have. And through sin, it's been destroyed and screwed up. But I got good news for you. And the good news is this. How can it be made right? Well, this is where we jump right back into Ephesians. And this is what Paul says. In that 11-word statement, how can it be made right? Submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Messiah. Out of your respect for Jesus, submit yourself to one another. This is how it's made right. The term submit is the key word. Because of sin, people don't want to submit. They won't submit. I have to have power. I have to be the one in charge. I have to be the one in control. If you have Jesus in your heart and he's truly there, your natural desire becomes, I don't want to be like that. I want to submit. What does submit mean? Well, submit is the Hebrew word or Greek word hupotasso, and it means to arrange under, to subordinate, to put yourself in subjection to. It's a military term. And they would use it in that culture to refer to military operations. To submit was the way that a troop submitted to a commander or a, put it in our idea today, a private submitting to a sergeant. The sergeant is the authority and the private says, okay, you're in charge. I'm not going to fight this. Whatever you say, I'll do. You say, stop, I'll stop. Go, I will go. Attack, I will attack. Retreat, I will retreat. Whatever you say, because you're the authority. Paul uses the same idea when he says, husbands and wives, put yourself underneath in subjection to the person who you're married to. And so what's the picture of that going to be? Well, instead of what it was before, where we're both trying to rule over, now here's what it becomes. It becomes, I want to submit myself to you. And I want to come underneath and serve the way Jesus served. I want to love the way Jesus loved. I want to support the way Jesus supported. Does it mean that everything is perfect? No. Does it mean that my wife still doesn't do things that irritate me and I do things that irritate your, her? Absolutely. But bottom line, I want to submit myself. How can I serve you? How can I meet your needs? How can I fulfill what you need in life? How can I be there for you? Submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Jesus. What is that then going to look like in my marriage? Well, let me take you back to the very, very beginning. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. Husbands, submit yourselves. Wives, you submit yourselves. Two people come underneath each other. What's that going to be? You be humble. 
you be gentle, you be patient, you put up with each other in love, you make sure to keep unity in your marriage. Where does it all start? Well, it starts with me. If I want a great marriage, it's not about her, it's about me. It's not about him, it's about you. It starts in my heart. Where does it start in my heart? Jesus, I need a relationship with you. I need you to come into my heart and into my life. I need to sit in your presence, receive from you, know you. I need you to change me from the inside out. Help me deal with my anger, my lying, my deception, my, my hard-heartedness, the words that come out of my mouth. God, I need you to come into my heart. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I need a relationship with you. When that happens, God works in me. Now, help me to be the kind of husband you want me to be. I don't want to be that jerk of a husband that I've always been. I want to be different. The only way I can be different is, Jesus, you work through me. Help me in, with my wife to be gentle and humble and patient and put up with her in love. And I hope she'll do the same for me. And if we do that, we will get ourselves right back to where God designed marriage to be. How is that? We will have a marriage that is well-matched, joined together, one flesh, experiencing the true intimacy that he has created. I know all of you don't have that, but you can. It could start today. You can make a decision today to say, Jesus, come into my life. And you could make a decision today to say, I will be the man or the woman that you want me to be from this day forward. And I may struggle and there may be some stumbles along the way, but thankfully I have other people in my life that will support me and be there for me and help me. But God, I want to be yours. And I want in my marriage to experience what you have designed marriage to be. Because I can tell you, those that have that kind of marriage have the most blessed life possible. Even in the midst of tough circumstances and tough situations. I would encourage you today to pray and say, God, please help me. Help me to be the follower and the man or the woman that you want me to be. We're going to close with a word of prayer, then we're going to dismiss. And after that, if you have special prayer requests and you need somebody to pray for you, we're going to have a couple of tables up here in the front, and there will be somebody there to help pray with you with whatever burdens you're carrying. Let's pray as we close. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for your word, though it is sometimes painful, it's necessary. Lord, thank you that you desire us to have the best. And the best is following what you have laid out. I pray for those in here who don't know you, that this would become an opportunity that they would say, Lord, I need a relationship with you. So please come into my life and forgive me of my sins and help me to follow you. I pray for those that right now are not in a good relationship, that they need to be in a relationship that honors and glorifies you, that you would convict their hearts. I pray, Lord, for those that their marriage is struggling. Maybe it feels like it's on the verge of collapse, that today they would say, I want to do it your way. I'm sick of doing it my way. I want to do it your way, God. So I will submit myself, and I will be gentle and humble and patient
and put up with my spouse in love. Lord, for the rest of this series, the rest of these weeks, these three other weeks that we're going to be covering relationships, please bless that time and help us to hear from you. As we go out into this community for this week, Lord, as we go to jobs and wherever we're going to be going, Lord, I pray that you would go before us, go with us, and help us everywhere we go. We thank you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you back here next week for part two as we talk more about the marriage relationship. Hey, thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.